Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number 10, and I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. This podcast focuses on helping Canadian physiotherapists in their clinical practice and careers. And if you haven't heard of Ignite Physio before, it's a free, community-driven website for physiotherapists where you can ask and answer practice questions, find useful articles, and access a data bank of reviewed clinical resources. For today's episode, we're talking about private practice ownership. And my guest is Raj Dillon. He's a physiotherapist and private practice owner from Edmonton, Alberta, with over 13 years of experience working in private practice. He graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy from the U of A in 2003, and he owns and runs Pivotal Physiotherapy with his business partner, Craig Wilson. He's completed postgraduate training in spinal manipulation, acupuncture, and gun IMS, and he's FCAMP certified. I think you'll really enjoy this episode with Raj, as he has a lot of great things to share about private practice ownership and his experiences and lessons learned. So today I'm really interested to uh, chat with you, Raj, about your um, experience with uh, private practice and your journey um, as a private practice owner, and and just uh, fill in for uh, for physio- physiotherapists around some of the rewards and challenges of owning your own private uh, practice. Sure. Would you like me to go through some history first, or just yeah, let's jump let's, into some of the opportunities? Yeah, I know. Like you graduated in 2003, mentioned, and uh, um, and I was interested to know, uh, you know how you transition into uh, running your own uh, clinic. Sure. Um, Craig and myself, uh, we graduated together from in 2003, and we began working as full-time employees of Anna Houghton at that time. She was the previous owner, and she had two clinics named Northtown Physiotherapy and Fort Saskatchewan Physiotherapy. We began working full-time at the Northtown site and became better clinicians. We took a lot of postgraduate coursework for the first few years. In 2006, Anna was interested in exploring a retirement plan and essentially an exit strategy. So she approached us and we became partners with Anna. We purchased some of the shares. We went through that process for two years and in 2008, she was ready to relinquish all of the shares and we purchased all of them. So Craig and myself became full partners in 2008 and full owners of of the company at that time. At that time, we quickly realized that management and ownership requires its own set of skills and its own set of rules. And we went down to a company in the U.S. to learn essentially a mini MBA program for physio clinic owners. We developed a common set of language and a common set of goals and mission statements and structure that helped us run our two practices successfully. It's been eight years since then. Uh, Along the way, we went through a rebranding process where we switched the name from Northtown and Fort Saskatchewan Physio to what we now know as Pivotal Physiotherapy. We felt that that name more accurately reflects the culture of the practice, our personalities, and what we believe um, physiotherapy is, uh, what what we believe the role of physiotherapy is in people's healthcare and in people's lives. Great. And so, when you uh, took over in 2008, did you have other staff uh, working at the clinics at that point, or were you uh, both uh, just the uh, sole practitioners there? Absolutely, we had other staff. Uh, Anna had a had a team of physiotherapists and some massage therapists and some support staff and some managers already within the practice. So when we took over full ownership, we inherited all of those team members and all of those um, people. We also inherited a, a set of policies and procedures. 
Well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that uh, obviously makes it a little bit easier to transition into that uh, rather than starting from scratch. Now, if you if you would, uh, you know, if there's a physiotherapist interested in, in starting their own practice, would you say that it's, um, uh, would you recommend that route if possible to take over as opposed to starting fresh or what, what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question, Andrew. I, I get asked that question a lot of times. And I, I essentially develop a list of pros and cons for physios to consider uh, what is the best fit for them. You know, and so obviously in our situation, we went through one process, which was an acquisition process. And it was also a bit unique because we were already integrated into the clinic and into the practice. So we had a lot of familiarity with the procedures, policies, the people, and the clients. Uh, that being said, you know, it offered us some sense of confidence and a sense of ease of transition into going into ownership because people already knew us and we were very grooved into many of the the clinical um, nature, I guess you could say. The expense is a little bit higher in my estimation. The financial expense is a little bit higher. Acquiring a practice, there's a fair amount of goodwill within most practices and most professional evaluators will put together a dollar value that considers goodwill and the client list as a large part of that expense. Versus a startup where you know, somebody has the opportunity to essentially start something brand new. They can pick everything from the physical space, the fixtures, the floor plan, the architecture, the design, the team that they want to build. They can start from scratch and really recruit the team members that they want. They get to decide the location. So there's a lot of novelty and procedure in doing a startup. There's also perhaps a, a cheaper process. You know, you have to do the build out of the space, you have to start a lease, and you buy some equipment. So in total, I believe that cost will be a little bit less than acquiring a very full, robust practice. The downside of the startup is obviously caseload. You know, people starting up in a new facility, in a new space, there's a certain level of marketing that they will go through and a certain level of effort and time that they'll put into recruiting new patients. But that patient load may not be full for some initial amount of time. So I would put together the pros and cons and really have ask the physio, you know, which which choice do you want to make? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and different personalities will obviously trend towards different uh, choices. And sometimes it's a timing issue. If there's an acquisition opportunity out there that's really attractive and seems to fit the personality of the physio, they may jump on that even though they always thought they were going to do a startup or vice versa. You know, so I think some of it, Oh, I was just going to ask, uh, like, how do you uh, find out if there are acquisition opportunities, uh, you know, in the marketplace? I mean, if, you know. that's a good question. Uh, part of it's probably through word of mouth and in um, just being in the kind of in the physiotherapy network and in the community. And I believe some of it gets posted online. You know, if, if the clinic owner is looking to sell, I believe there are there are listings, but I I, I don't exactly know which website they would go to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And so, Roger, are you still practicing clinically? Uh, currently, or are you, is a lot of your time taken up with uh, clinic management uh, responsibilities? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I still do treat. I have a, a large passion for treatment in orthopedics, and I have a large caseload that I really cherish spending time with and helping them through their recoveries. So I, I still do treat probably close to what's a, what would be a 0.5 or a 0.6. Okay. And I, I do carry a management and leadership role at the Fort Saskatchewan site more so. And Craig carries a management role at the Northgate site, and we often meet um, weekly to cover common corporate issues or topics that we want to focus on or strategies. 
So that would take up maybe about a 0.3 or 0.4 of my week. Okay. And, you know, just mentioning Craig here, I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are around what you feel, again, the, you know, the strengths and uh, weaknesses are of, of having a partner um, as, uh, you know, when you're, when you're actually uh, running a clinic. Yeah, great question. Um, I think that, you know, my experience, I've never known any different. So the bias that I come in with is I've always had a partner, mm -hmm. right? And, and for me, I reflect a lot about um, the value that that brings. I think there's obviously a division of labor that can take place. There's a level of trust and support that one can forge with one another. And, um, you know, sometimes even a skill set issue, you know, certain things, you know, one of us will be better at it than the other. And so it's naturally diverted towards that person. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of value in partnerships and I see a lot of value in, in sharing that, that role, that opportunity, that burden, however you want to phrase it. I see value in that. Um, I, you know, I do have a lot of colleagues and friends that are sole clinic owners as well. And there's, there's other luxuries that come with that, but it's probably just not for me. So it really is coming down to knowing yourself well in terms of how you best work. Yeah, I think that'll, that'll probably drive a lot of my answers today, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I, I, have, I have this talk with U of A students all the time. I, I do a small speaking elective in the business specialty course in the second year of physio students. And a lot of the content that we're covering today is discussed there. Uh, and I'm often asking students to really self-reflect. You know, where, what is your ideal scene? Who are the people you want to work with? What is the environment that you want to be in? What is the type of patient you'd like to treat? And you start trending your career in that direction early, and, you know, and then five years later and ten years later, you kind of have you're pretty much in a special place where you kind of knew you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that part part of that conversation with the students too is even just dispelling some of the common myths or misconceptions of uh, running your own practice. And I was wondering if you could share with the audience, you know, what you feel uh, are some of those uh, those common myths and, and misconceptions. Common myths. Mm -hmm. um, one of the common things that comes up is that it may be a lot of work and headache and stress, and I think there might be a negative connotation to some of those conceptions. Uh, certainly, you know, depending on your perspective, those things are true. We do have a fair amount of work in front of us, and we do have some HR issues that we face, and we do have, um, you know, problems and, and third-party considerations and negotiations that we go through. But my vantage point has really evolved over the last 10 years where now I see those as opportunities, I see those as, as unique challenges, and, and I enjoy facing them very much. So I don't know if I would call that a myth necessarily, but I would put it out there as a common initial perception mm -hmm. that evolves through time. Mm -hmm. Now, what about uh, the situation where you're looking at uh, um, maybe starting a clinic with uh, just on your own or with one other person? Is that something that you would uh, say is a feasible option running a clinic, or or do you think that there needs to be a bigger team in place to to make it uh, viable? I think it's very feasible, absolutely. Uh, particularly in the startup phase, you know, the reality of a startup phase is that you don't know what kind of caseload you're going to have. So, what I would pose is a very strategic, logical plan. Um, if somebody's interested in starting up a clinic, I'd ask them to do their due diligence in the area and the location and the demographics and really identify a niche that is attractive to them. And once they've identified the niche, then search out a location or a, you know, a piece of land or a property that they can go into. Mm -hmm. uh, once they've done that, then figure out what their 
marketing plan is going to look like and who they're going to target, what their target audience is. And once they've done that, you know, start the, the ball rolling. You start putting in the, the sweat and the gears into running your clinic successfully and have a monitoring system in place maybe every two weeks or four weeks where you look back and reflect on um, how many patients you're seeing per week or per day and whether that's in line with your projections. Uh, and then going forward from there, there would be a layer of recruitment of support staff and or managers and or PTs or RMTs to help you build that practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it really is coming down to, you know, that stepwise progression as the demand grows and, you know, confidence increases as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's pretty feasible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And, um, and from a, like a location standpoint, what have you found? I mean, obviously I know that, you know, you've, um, you had the two existing locations, but, uh, you know, just over the years, you know, what do you think is important from, from a location uh, perspective for, for a clinic? Yeah, those are, that's a great question. <clears throat> Again, as you've alluded to, you know, I'm coming in with a bit of a bias because the locations were already established when we took over. So we weren't really involved in the decision to select the locations. The locations were already selected. Having said that, I mean, if you just think about your physiotherapy demographic, parking, as odd as it sounds, parking comes to mind as a huge concern. You know, people that attend once a week, twice a week, some of the WCB patients that come three times a week, they need to be able to access your facility fairly quickly. So I think parking is important. Uh, A second consideration is, you know, ease of access. So if you have patients with orthopedic issues, such as a fracture, such as walking aids, such as a wheelchair, you know, having a an elevator and or floor access would be ideal. So those are kind of the, the nitty-gritty points. But from a, from a traffic point of view, you know, if you want to have, just like any storefront, the more exposure, the better, you know, really. So if you can have a 1,000 cars drive by your spot or a 1,000 people walk by your storefront rather than 100, that's going to be way more attractive. Yeah. So picking picking a location that is high in density in terms of you know exposure would be attractive. Yeah, I'm sure that obviously uh, you know your your target demographic uh, is also probably a, you know a consideration in terms of whether you're looking for more of an active population around a you know a recreation center or um, you know those. those Absolutely, types of I mean I think that yeah, you're right. I mean that will that that having you know the example of the rec center. If you've got a, a clinic within a rec center, it does two things. Number one, it drives that type of client towards you because they see your, your name and, your, and they associate you with the space. But number two, it also provides a bit of a reputation. You know, you're going to probably end up gearing your treatments and your recruitment of physios and your culture towards that demographic as well. So I think it, it lends itself successfully. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so, you know, if you're, uh, uh, you know, starting over again, um, you know, what, what mistakes would you try to avoid making, you know, and whether that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whether you want to share it. that on the show or not. But, I know, love I think it, sure. <laughs> um, that's a good question. You know, I'm a big believer in no regrets. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, acknowledging that bias, I would still try to answer your question. What mistakes would I try to correct? You know, I think I was surprised early on by by um, the level of attention that HR requires. You know, the people that you work with, the um, what motivates different personalities, how different personalities work together or don't work well together, you know, how to use people's strengths to their advantage. 
uh, I really, really appreciate it now, and I'm a, I'm, I love, you know, looking at those analyses, and I love interviewing people and considering those those questions now. Mm-hmm. But early on, I didn't consider it to that complexity. Early on, I was very simplistic in my analysis, and uh, I wish that, you know, if I could go back and probably coach somebody, that's probably a level that I would coach them on is really understanding the psychology of human nature, the psychology of the workforce, the industry, how different chemistries work and don't work, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And do, do you have your staff do personality tests so that you understand sort of how that interaction is, uh, you know, potentially could take place, or is that more you know, of a gut level? Not sure. Yeah, we, we've dabbled. We've dabbled in that process before and, and never really uh, furthered it too much. We didn't find it that useful for ourselves. I can certainly see it being useful in certain environments, but we we haven't made that a major focus. We we do certainly ask people to identify their strengths early on, and, and we try to cater their role within the practice to those strengths, and and we allow for a process of evolution. You know, we we allow for a process of training and support and education and uh, self questioning and testing and and that process of everybody on the team needs to develop. Everybody in the team needs to grow. Everybody in the team is going to be better a year from now than they are today, and should be better today than they were a year from yet from today in yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so any other mistakes, uh, Raj, that you'd you'd say, hey, that uh, or things that you'd maybe do differently? Uh, um, you know, HR being obviously a big one. I think that's that's a that's a great point that you bring up. Um, you know, is there anything else from from a business management or? You know, I think um, you know I. I came into this process with a bit of ignorance and a bit of inexperience in the business world. And I think that as a result of that, I had some anxieties and some I had some stress come my way because of lack of perspective. Um, but, you know, I think people that come in with a bit of a bad, bad business background and or having even even a, a family business in their in their history, wouldn't have those anxieties or those stresses. So another lesson I would perhaps teach Raj from 12 years ago is keep things in perspective and really think about the picture 10 years from now, you know, thinking about that vision. Uh, and I think I went through a bit of a process of evolution where I needed to do that and refocus my lens. So that not sweating the small stuff as much. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, if um, what, would, what would you recommend in terms of uh, courses or... Um, um, conferences or you know uh, skills that uh, that would be uh, helpful, beneficial to develop. Um, you know, if if you were going to uh, you know if someone was looking for moving into private practice ownership. Yeah, great question. Again, p- part of it would come down to self-reflection because everybody will come with different sets of skills and experiences. But if I were to develop a bullet list of of areas of target, I would essentially, um, you know, go through the list as executive planning. So number one, they need to be able to think about their company and their corporation a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and develop a list of goals and action plans that fit with that. So executive planning. Uh, number two is communication, communicating verbally, non-verbally, internally, externally. Uh, with their team and have in teaching their team how to communicate well as well. Uh, number three would be promotion, so advertising, marketing, getting your name out there, ad- identifying your target market. Um, number th- four would be finance, you know, having a very clean accounting 
point of view, and that might mean outsourcing and or hiring somebody who's brilliant at accounting so that so that your numbers are all in line and there's really no stress in that regard, you know, that you're taking care of those things cleanly. The next one would be quality control. So ensuring that physios are delivering good care, ensuring that the front desk staff are pleasant with the customers and, and patients and, you know, identifying potential problems ahead of time, trying their best to serve their clients in the best way, and that the clinical staff is continuing to grow in terms of education and or some other coursework, but every year they should be growing and, and becoming better clinicians. Uh, the next one would be public relations, you know, giving back to the community, having some uh, some level of relationship and commitment and energy and time that's put towards returning, you know, some of our, our wins to our community in some capacity, whether that's through volunteer work or charity donations or service back to the community or, or all three. So I would, I would probably put those things in a list and say, you know, what are you already really good at? And if you are, then let's identify the other areas and, and you know, spend the most time and energy focusing on those to build up your skill set. Gotcha. And you mentioned public relations, and I'm curious to know, you know, what that, um, how that's evolved over the years for, for Pivotal and for your team. You know, what, what are you guys uh, doing now, and, and how has that grown over the last few years? Yeah, so early on, uh, I think we did very little. You know, if we were to look back 12 years ago, we did very little in terms of PR and really returning back to the community. <clears throat> Over the years, we kind of started dabbling in sponsoring local amateur athletic events like volleyball tournaments, basketball tournaments, athletic races, obstacle courses, things like that. Uh, we took it to the next level by you know, starting a fundraising campaign called Ride to Rebuild. Okay. There's a, a you know the village in Nepal that was devastated through an earthquake, and we we committed to raising money to help rebuild this village with with huts and supplies and equipment. So we, the, the captivating event was 24 Hours of Adrenaline last year, which was a it's a mountain bike race in Canmore that our team goes to as a corporate event. Yeah. And we started raising money to it was at the race and prior to the race, kind of leading up to the race, um, selling T-shirts, taking donations, gathering money, and and donating that money to Nepal. Wow. That's awesome. Hey, Raj, thanks for having us on the show today. That's awesome. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. No <laughs> Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview I had with Raj. If you have any questions, topic ideas, or be interested in being a part of the show, let me know by dropping me a line at hello at ignitephysio.ca. Take care.